0: welcome to being the dot i'm your host dr stacy each week we invite a guest or guest to join us and talk some about their experiences of being black brown red and yellow in white spaces i don't know about you but my mama taught me that you had to do three times as much as a white person to get half as far Or how about this? Have you ever had a job that was so multifaceted that when you stepped out of it, stepped down or got something else, that they busted it up among four, five, seven people, but it wasn't too much for you to do? Oftentimes, one of the ways that implicit bias works in the workplace is that people believe that our backs are broad and that it is not okay for us to say, no. That's today's topic. How do you say no when you believe that you have to do three times as much to get half as far and so do other people? Tonight we'll have a multi-generational conversation about how to say no in a way that keeps you employed and gracious to the people that you work with. And our guests today have something to say about it. Douglas Manigault, MSW, he, him pronouns, is a respectful boundary pusher, experienced relationship manager, and strategist. A A macro social worker by training and profession, Manigault has worked in organizations across southeastern Michigan to support program development, volunteer engagement, fundraising, program evaluation, management information support, And equity, diversity, and inclusion workshops slash training for staff and donors. He serves as a consultant with organizations to provide the full grant lifecycle support from progress prospect research to proposal writing to post award management. Dr. Rochelle Woods is the Senior Assistant Dean for Administration. Operations and academic programs in the School of Education at the University of Pittsburgh, where she oversees financial operations, IT, marketing, and communications, along with student services and facilities. She also works closely with academic departments and divisions to develop and implement new academic degree and certification programs. Dr. Woods joined Pitt in ni- in two thousand and eighteen as a de- executive director of administration for the School of Education. Prior to then, Dr. Woods held research and leadership roles in diversity and multicultural affairs at the Ohio State University and the University of Michigan. No conflict there, of course. In these roles, she led successful programs and initiatives related to academic success, retention, graduation, and college access that served thousands of students of color, first-generation students, and low-income students. Dr. Woods has also researched and published on race and educational experiences in higher education in the U.S. and South Africa. Dr. Woods holds a bachelor's degree from the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, a master's and a Ph.D. from sociology from the University of Michigan. Jamel Clark was born in Bloomfield, West Virginia. She has a total of 30 years of financial experience. 12 years in the private sector and 18 years in accounting with the Department of Agriculture with agencies like the National Institute of Food and Agriculture and her current agency, the Forest Service, where she is responsible for formulation, justification, presentation, and execution of $460 million fire and aviation budget dollars for a variety of fun types. She attended Norfolk State University in the late 80s and is, was a member of ROTC, the volleyball team, the Japanese team, and Alpha, Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. She's been a wife for 28 years and a mother as well as an entrepreneur. Please welcome to the podcast our guest daughters, daughters Dr. Woods, Douglas Manigal, and Jamel Clark.
1: Woohoo!
2: Thank you for having us today.
1: Thank you, thank you.
0: You bet, absolutely. This is a very prestigious panel, uh, and so let's let's just get to it. Um, and so I talked a little bit in the introduction about this notion of having to do three times as much to get half as far. And I'm wondering, was that framework a part of your own kind of child rearing and trajectory and how you how you make meaning of it?
1: For mine, it absolutely was. I mean, I don't think they said three times. I think it was like twice as much to get half as much different ratio. But but uh, yeah, I mean, I was definitely told that growing up, I think as an adult, I not even as an old adult, I think even as a teen. I rebuke that. Um, I rebuke that. I mean, <laughs> you know, I think ra- it's you can't work your way out of racism. You can't educate your way out of racism. You can't dress your way out of racism. Um so you know, some of these things that are gonna happen in the workplace, particularly when you're in predominantly white workplaces, it's not about your preparation <laughs> and it's not about your professionalism. We convince ourselves that we can work twice as hard and get beyond some of these things but the truth is you can't. Wow. Thanks for that.
0: So you just reject the
1: whole notion. Absolutely. I absolutely do.
0: Well, and that that that's going to set the stage for my for, for further in the interview. What about you Douglas?
2: Yeah, so it's so funny because as Dr. Woods was sharing that, I was like, hmm. So I just turned 30 and I'm like, but I'm still trying to do that. I'm, you know, navigating, you know, Multiple jobs and, you know, advocating for more work uh, because I and I don't know that I think about it as trying to outpace racism. I just know that is a thing. And so I'm just trying to one. on the flip side and it's a double edged sword. I'm like trying to find where I feel value in the workplace. And sometimes that's with having multiple you know, areas that I'm overseeing or working in or have my hand in, some of that is being bored pretty easily, too. But the other piece of that is um, just trying to develop and redesign what value as a black man looks like in the workplace for me. And sometimes that is me being OK with working twice as hard to, to get where I'm going because it, it's worked for me in my career so far. Um, but, of course, you know, I'd be happy to share more of what the downside has been, which there have been a lot more of those, um, you know, in my career so far.
0: I appreciate that, what the downside is of it. What about you,
3: Jamil? Being the more seasoned person in the group, um, I would say that making sure that you have a full understanding of yourself and not, not necessarily rebuking it. Um, and so you just got to make sure that you have a full understanding of who you are and what your walk in life is supposed to be and what it is you have to bring to the table and understanding that everything that you're going to do is has to come with balance and everything that you're going to do is going to come with challenges and everything that you're going to do is going to come with knowing what you have to present to the next generation to come. So some of the things that we had to come through and live through may have been some of the things that you don't even have to deal with. You know, we had to we have to be the generation that put your head down and and just work through it. You know, we didn't we didn't have the ability to just say, I ain't doing it. You know what I mean? And we had to just just try to, you know, get to the point where we can say and have that voice in the room, but be equal about it and and learn how to show what equitability really looks like.
0: So we have a little bit of diversity of thought among our panelists, and that's that 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 is the makings of a good conversation. I will say for my own self that I absolutely um prescribed to that notion Mm -hmm. i believe it i share it with people um and 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 i think for me what i have to own though i i agree that racism is a distraction dr woods and that the more you try to hit the bar the more the bar moves Mm -hmm. and that's the way that the system works and so uh therein lies the complexity of the three times as much right two times five times whatever the, your ratio is um, but I have mm-hmm. to also own my own ambition in that as well
1: mm-hmm.
0: and um, and knowing that mm-hmm. I've always been I was an ambitious little girl. So definitely this 53 year old woman, has her own ambitions as well and i just like to do a lot of things and so um and so i just have to you know try to figure out what is the what is me trying to push back against racism and people's implicit bias and all of that and what's my own because that's what i want to do yeah
2: can i add something though real quickly I was was going to say, like, I'm just because I'm processing more. Mm -hmm. I'm someone who thinks out loud, but then gets, you know, has more thoughts. And I'm just thinking part of my work two times, three times, 10 times as hard is really a safety mechanism. Right. I really have learned to, uh, you know, where I grew up, just the survival tactics. I've learned to live by this. Mm -hmm as long as it's not me kind of mentality. So for those who watch Survivor, then they know about um, the person on there who went by that model who won twice. And I just, that's sort of sometimes like the way that I do it. Like, as long as I'm not the target, I'm going to be over here, like creating the next best thing so that someone can just be like, oh, you're also great. And that is not to limit who I am. I know that I'm great. I know that I have a lot to offer, but it's to say that like, it's part of my, uh, safety mechanism to just kind of build and build and go hard so that I can, uh, you know, be, be noticed in the right moment to climb up.
0: So, um, Douglas, you had mentioned earlier about some of the challenges with this framework of feeling like you need to do Mm -hmm. more. And, um, I'm wondering if you and then our other daughters would be willing to share, what they believe are some of the challenges around this particular framework and how it impacts your ability to set, well, let's just say the challenges and then we'll go to how it impacts the ability to Mm -hmm. set a boundary. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, there's a lot I can say, but really what it boils down to is, we're looking at two things, value and appreciation, right? And there are a lot of people who will appreciate all the work that you are doing. They will appreciate that you're taking on all these initiatives and overseeing all these areas. When it comes to valuing you, which actually comes with compensation, uh, that doesn't happen, right? And that is where a system like mine with the whole, oh, Mm -hmm. just you know, be okay with it, go with the flow, take on as much, comes to bite me um, in the end, because I find myself managing, again, what you said in the beginning, five different areas that have, you know, once I leave is going to be broken into five different jobs. I find myself doing that for a very, you know, minimal pay. I, I learned that I'm underpaid significantly. And so I, I began to resent it because I'm like, oh, so you appreciate me. You don't value me. And those things need to coexist. It's
0: good. It's good. What about you, Dr. Woods?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm ambitious, so I'm going to, you know, be doing the most, right? I mean, sometimes I'm doing the most, but, you know, that comes, but there's a the price. I mean, so that's the other thing, whether you can figure out why you're overworking yourself or not, there's a price to that. And we've all paid it before, um, there's a price to that. But, you know, I mean, I think, I mean, you know, to me, there's just, there's a pressure. And I think the pressure that I feel is not really from being in, predominantly white workplaces, the the pressure on a lot of black people, y'all tell me if y'all disagree, comes from this, like, you got to be successful. So it's just like, I got to be successful to combat racism. It's just that I have to be successful. I'm first gen. I'm from a, a low income background. And when I say low income, I use low income now, right? Poor, we were poor right? Took food stamps to the store when there were actual food stamps. Remember when they, there used to be food stamps? Came in a book. Came in a book, right? And we were so poor that I used to prefer the food stamps because they came in like, you know, clear denominations. You could pull them out and they were mm-hmm. organized, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, and that's mm-hmm. not a, and I'm saying that with a smile because that's not a background that I am ashamed of. That's not a background that I think is a bad background. Like I, I, I love the, how I grew up and you know, how I was raised in my family, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And I don't buy into a lot of this. Poor people are dysfunctional. So that's why I say it like that. But I think some of the pressure came from like, look, you gotta be successful. You know what I'm saying? You gotta go to college. You gotta go to grad school. I can't tell you how to get there, but you gotta do all these things. I I, I can't tell you how to do it. Just be smart, get good grades. And so I feel like some of the pressure that I felt throughout my life is really about that, this like real drive to be successful, which I know isn't really what you were asking me, but
0: (laughs) that's another episode.
3: (laughs) (laughs) So what would you say Jamel? Let me, let me, can I speak to the fact that I am from Michigan as well. I've lived there for many years. So I understand some of the pressures. And so that you all have gone through and. (sighs) (laughs) As far as the self-inflicted pressure that we put on ourselves, those things are are the worst. And you know, it's something that you just have to grow out of. You know, it's, you, you're not gonna, you're not. It's not something that you're just gonna stop immediately. You're not gonna stop wanting to be uh, the best of what it what it is you want to do you may just strategize differently i think um the challenge is how fast you're going to get there or the challenge would be what are you going what type of network or what who are you going to use who are you going to use to get there or What are you going to use to get there? I mean, I, I, I hate to use the word use, but I mean, you have to use it in a way, you know, because you have to use, you know, when you're in the workplace, you have what you call the people that have been there the longest, maybe someone like me, That have the historical knowledge Something that you may not get out of An SOP They just know all the different scenarios So I would be a person that you would use To get to where you need to be It's not necessarily A bad thing You know what I mean So you The challenges of you being a Learning how to get where you need to be Is in Maturity I just believe It just comes with maturity Mhm, mhm.
0: So when you think about when someone asks you to do something that you believe one is beyond the scope of what you want to do and or that you don't necessarily have capacity for it or it's not your job or or whatever that that it's really not something that you thinking about doing, what are the things that you consider before you give? that answer or set that boundary.
2: So I can go. So the, I mean, for me being that I'm sort of the newest in my career, uh, I mean, for what I'm always thinking about is what is going to be the value add for me. Right. So, Am I going to, is this going to be something that's going to take me to the next level when I'm thinking about my next job? And for those who know millennials out there, we are not sticking around for a very long time. So I'm always thinking about what's going to be my next opportunity. Um, But what I'm also thinking about is like, what's, in what context is this task being provided to me? Um, Because what I have learned over my brief but powerful career is that white people in particular love to placate black people and to make you feel that like this is going to be a value add to you. Um, And if you are not checking yourself, you will feel like it. And I've been in that position like that. You know what? They told me that they really just sold me you know on the fact that this extra task that's going to take me 10 extra hours on top of the 50 hours I'm working is going to be so valuable to me. And so um that's the other those are like the main two things is thinking what is the value add to me ex- you know external from what has been shared with me and then two what is this person oftentimes white person how are they selling this task to me.
1: Yeah, I typically just think about am I going to lose my job today or not? Yep. Um what 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 is the implication of this? And and I will say I have had I've been in predominantly white environments with black bosses the majority of my career. I've had some white bosses, but I've had a lot of black bosses. Um, mm-hmm. so it hasn't necessarily been as treacherous for me to say no. But you know, I think but you I mean, I have been in situ, more than one situation mm-hmm. where I'm like, mmm am I going to lose my job today? That part. (laughs) And am I okay with that? Because, and and to be honest, and and this to me, and this is going to be controversial, but listen, there are points where you're either going to put yourself last first or somewhere in the middle. And there are times when you can do something and just say yes, right? You may have the time, the mental energy, the bandwidth to do it, And there are other times when you simply can't and you should not, you know. And so I I don't you know, I think a lot of people, sometimes people feel like they can't say no when they can say no. And I've talked to a lot of people, particularly black women. They don't want to say no because they don't want someone to think less of them. Um, they feel like maybe they're like what Douglas said, maybe there is an opportunity somewhere buried in there or this is going to propel them, even if they've been doing it for a while. And you're like, girl, why are you still chairing that committee though? You know, like they just passed you over for a promotion. I know, but, you know, so sometimes to me it's we're we're our own barrier. There's pressure, but also we aren't willing to say no because we don't want to face whatever the potential repercussion is but sometimes there's none. And, and there's But there's just this internal pressure from right. us to do it. So, you know, to me, I feel like if, if it's going to benefit me or I'm going to learn. Because sometimes you you may not see a financial benefit. There's plenty of things that I've done that I was not paid for. But there was a benefit and that now I know how to do it. You know, so when I go into the next <laughs> position and I'm selling myself mm-hmm. and I'm saying, These are the skills and capabilities that I have. They go far beyond what my actual job was. And so had I said no to that, you know, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't know how to do a lot of things that I know how to do. But I do think there's a difference between that and particularly sometimes when you're an all white. One of my um, most memorable all white work experiences and I had a white boss at the time. I started this job. It was a research job at this organization in the Boston area that I will not name and um now i was maybe like two three years out of my phd and so really like looking to learn and grow etc one of the first things this woman asked me was to be on the diversity committee and i was like i mean i would love to be on the irb committee you're in a research organization and you're a researcher and at at the time i was What is more valuable to you, being on the diversity committee or the IRB committee? Well, come to find out, she wasn't just trying to get me on. She was trying to get me on their diversity committee because it's 600. It was 300 people in the building, but that organization had about 600 people, most of them researchers. 300 in the building. There were three black researchers. And I went to one committee and I basically went back and told her, you know, if you want diversity, you have to hire some diversity. Like you can't talk about it in a room with you know, the three Black people and the four Latinos out of 300 people. I didn't get fired either.
3: <laughs> That's good to know. What
1: about you, Jamel?
3: I would like to know what the expectations are. What What would you say? What, what, are, what, are, what would be the expectation and the intent of me completing this exercise? Um, and of course- if it's something that won't monetize me in the end, if it's something that's going to uh, continue my growth in my career, of course, you know, I take on some things outside of my job description only to add to what I can do for the next, you know, the next opportunity that may not be written for me that I can bring to the table. For the next opportunity, for that uptick in monetization, you know. But for certain, you do have to learn that word now. That it comes hard, mm. but you do have to learn how to say no. And it's hard for Black women to say no. It's so, mm. it's something in us. We learn it. It's an innate thing. Mm. We that's what I mean. It's innate. We we see it.
0: Or something that we're taught. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, It's modeled to us, but you can, it, I think it's an interesting thing. And I think too, to me, I am inclined to count the cost and um, to see what it's going to take, what is this going to require of me to do? Um, And, and, and then how much, um, of myself, does it require is it something that's easy for me to do or is it something that I'm really going to so I'm gonna have to work a little bit harder to do it. And then I think it's important to figure out if you want to do it. I think that that I think part of what education gives you um, is is um, is the option for options. And, and so, you know, it it might be easy to say, well, I just would say no, but if you are the fry worker at McDonald's, I think that's a little bit more complex to say no all the time. Although we know that they say no, because they say no to us.
1: And it's Burger King down the street. Okay. Okay. There is Burger King
0: down the street. And we all know right now that everybody (laughs) needs workers. Right. And so there, there is that piece. So, so. Tell us a little bit about a time where you had to set a boundary. Right. And, or, or say no. And, um,
3: and how you managed that. I was a, a young girl a couple of years ago. And um, I was in West Virginia growing up and, only black kid in school and uh, first off let me say in West Virginia to this very day on our birth certificates it still says that you're a ne- Negro and so uh, as I went back to my story um, there was a kid in there and he says um, what do you call?" something that is rolled up brown wrapped in shit with big lips and everybody looked around then they looked at me (laughs) i didn't because you know i'm the only black kid there you know and they they all looked at me, and he he just looked at me and was like, "Oh, because you know my nickname is Jamie," and he was like Jamie, and everybody did the ah, you know the laughter, you know. And the thing about that was, I had to learn then about the nose and and learning how to stand up to someone not being able to take your spirit. And learning how to not allow, even when you know that there are some people that really don't buy into that type of racism, but the part of not standing up against it is even worse. You know, like I went to my teacher and told her what he said. And what she told me was, you have to deal with that. You know, and that was the worst part that I didn't even feel safe, even with my own teacher. You know what I mean? And so learning how to say no, I'm not going to take that anymore. You know, I had to learn how to one fight two, tell him the next time you say something like that to me, there's going to be consequences and repercussions, you know. And and it doesn't necessarily have to be physical, but it still can, you still can, you have the right to say certain things and you have to know your rights. And then, and that's the part of saying no, knowing your rights and saying no. And, you know, we, we just got to be, be able to stand up for those type of things. I could go on and on about it, but I'll stop there.
0: What about you, Dr. Woods? Thank you, Jamie.
1: Well, one, I said no to that diversity committee <laughs> in my previous example. And I just said, uh, no, I'm not interested in that. And then, you know, told her what I, what I told you all, which is you, if you want some diversity, first you're gonna have to hire it. Um, then we can talk about the climate. First you have to hire it. So I don't know that saying no has ever been a struggle with me. Um, I believe in saying no. I say no in my personal life. I say no in my professional life. If I need to say no, I mean, I obviously say yes to a lot of things. D- Douglas um, is one of uh, a, a person that I've mentored for a long time, although we're friends now. So he knows. I will say no, but I'll, I'm, I'm generous and I say yes to a lot of things. But you know, I mean I say no in the I say no in the workplace. I've always said no in the workplace because I just think that there are limits and and people will go as far as you let them go. So I just think you have to whether it's at work or at home, because a lot of times people who have a hard time saying no at work mm-hmm. also have a hard time just saying no, period. Um, and just think about who is is everyone else mm-hmm. more important than me? <laughs> is everyone else more that's that to me is the mm-hmm. fundamental question of life. Are you important, mm-hmm. or is everyone else more important mm-hmm. than you?
2: Yeah, to that point, what Doctor Wood said, it really does get back to that value piece, right? And value starts outside of the workplace. Um, and so, I really, I really recommend people think spending intentional time thinking about their own personal values you know, so that that empowers them in the workplace. Uh, The example that I have, um, a previous employer, so most of my career has been in fundraising, very specific in institutional fundraising. So that's working with organizations versus uh, individuals. And uh, there was a time when my boss was a white woman, um, would sort of set things up where, she would do kind of all the what you think is like the fun relationshipy things in fundraising right the going out to lunch, going to coffee, doing whatever, and then would come back and say, you know what this funder this program officer is excited about our idea I would love for you to write the grant application um and I was very clear like it, it took a lot out of me, but I was very clear with her very early on in this job like. I am not like you don't split the baby in half, right? Like you give me the whole baby or I'm not doing it. So I just want to talk about why that's important to me because when it comes to, you know, grant writing, for example, it's 80% project plan and 20% writing. And so, you know, I need to be a part of the entire picture or my recommendation would be that if you want to manage that relationship, that you also write the proposal. Um And, That was probably the first time that I, and that was very early on in my job, the first time that I felt like I was saying no to a proposal um, or something that my boss had given me, and one, I didn't get fired, two, I didn't get reprimanded, three, my boss actually like was like, let's switch this, like flip this whole model on his head, you manage all of those relationships, and so that came from, to my point earlier, me Internally, looking and thinking about my value and how I see myself in my career, and making sure that I was very clear in the workplace, uh, so that I can push through that that uncomfortable situation.
0: Thank you for that. So, what comes up for me is an incident where um, at a university where I worked at one point, where um, there was a situation where um, a decision was made that upset. Um, I BIPOC students and I um, tend to, when decisions made, whether I agree with them or not, I oftentimes will not kind of disagree publicly with my bosses that I try to just shut my mouth and not necessarily say anything affirmative, but not say anything negative. And this is one of those situations where I was not really publicly saying a lot And um, the person who was my supervisor at the time was a white person. And they were aware of how I felt even though I was not publicly sharing it. I had shared it with them pretty clearly. And they asked me if I would find a way to use my social capital and try to calm the situation down. Knowing that I agreed with the students. And almost tried to kind of Terry Crews me, right? I'm just going to send you out there to make the statement on our behalf. And use your Blackness to help. And so I can remember that every fabric in my body was like, I don't, you sound crazy. Like that, that's what I was thinking. But part of what I ended up asking this person was, have you asked any of our white, my white peers to do the same thing? Because if you have not, then this request is racist. And so when my integrity is in question, that's an easy no for me. You know what I mean? That I, I don't even have to think twice about it. And I remained employed at that place for quite some time after that. But I but I I, th- I think there are times that people want to use your use blackness. For when it works for them, um, but but not ignore it when it does not. And I'm Black either way. Uh, and so I find that to be annoying, but an easy place to say no or to set that boundary. I also think that there's some wisdom. Rochelle, you've been, um, been um, kind of nudging at this a little bit about asking yourself about self-care and knowing that a system will push to get every, every bit of oil from you that it possibly can. And so I, I wonder what people's thoughts are about self-care and how that plays a role in this notion of boundary setting, not just about money, not right. just about will it be good for my career, but just about your personality right. and um, and sustainability of yourself.
2: I can. Yeah, I can share. Yeah. So for mm-hmm. me, I really I mean, I feel like life kind of pushed me in that direction. I have a very uh, young child and um very early on I started realizing like oh I really like can't I I really only have a hundred percent this whole like I'm gonna give a hundred percent to everything I do no you have one one hundred percent and you determine how you're gonna split that pie up um and for me it's a priority to engage with my family like meaningful engagement not the five minutes that I can provide to them um Because when I started reflecting, that five minutes wasn't what I wanted. That five minutes was what I was allowing my employer to permit for me to give when I didn't take PTO, when I decided to work on, you know, projects all night and on the weekend and things like that. And so self-care is non-negotiable. That is one thing I know in my last example, I kind of sounded like I bossed up and told them this is how it's going to go generally I'm pretty, I'm, I'm, I tend to go with you, Dr. Stacy. Like I don't publicly disagree. I, you know, I, I, I keep those, those boundaries, that respectful boundary pusher. Um, but self-care is non-negotiable. I do not, it is never a question mark with my self-care. It is. So these are the days that I'm going to be off, right? These are the day and I'm going to take a day off each month and this is what I'm going to do. And I give as much as advanced notice as possible, Um, And then when I can, I just can't, but it is never a question mark uh, in my, with my self-care. It is very clear. Like, this is what I'm doing. Just FYI.
0: I've been transparent enough in my self-care that I live about an hour away from any Black therapist or Black hairdresser. And so I've negotiated time in my work week to go to get my hair done.
2: I love that. (laughs) And
0: to go to therapy. Yes. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. Because it's going to take me an hour. Two hours two hours, it's just two hours of transportation. We're not even talking about sitting in the chair and all that stuff. And so um, yes, yeah, so I got a new boss coming in, so we'll see how that goes. But but um, but certainly just be transparent that I pay I have a black tax that I can't go to um I don't know, what's what do they call it? Called? Some kind of cuts. Super cuts. Right. I can't go to super cuts and expect anything good to happen. Um, and so yeah. And and so it was it it that that really emboldened me a little bit to that that transparency
1: piece. Yeah. Well that is uh that needs to go in people's offers when they you know you see a lot of black people in higher ed going to some of these institutions in the middle of nowhere. Right. Um, like me right you, now. I mean, you can't. Yeah, I've been lucky enough to be, you know, closer to, you know, decent cities. But I hear a lot of people complaining about that. So that's going to go in my negotiation strategies. Um, But, yeah, I don't know. I feel like, to me, self-care is a balance. Like, I believe in self-care. Am I always a great practitioner of self-care? Absolutely not. Um, And so it's like, you know, you go far one direction. And for me, when I go too far of overworking myself, my bosses want me to take a break because I can be very unpleasant when I am overworked. Right? I mean, if I'm overworked, my old staff would tell the previous <laughs> institution—I used to go to acupuncture just for stress relief, and I love acupuncture. When I wouldn't go to acupuncture, my staff would go, um, "Do you need to go to acupuncture, Doctor Woods?" <laughs> do you, you know? <laughs> but um, I just think it's a—it's a—it's a. It's a, it's a it's a balance, you know, and it's something that, I mean, it's important. And I do, you know, I take vacation and when I take vacation, like I try to leave the, you know, like some of my, you know, I post some of my vacation pictures on social media. People are like, oh, you're always going somewhere. But the thing is, you know, I work and I work really hard. And if y'all remember my bio, like my my job now is vast. But so was my last job, just very vast dealing with a lot of people, a lot of problems, a lot of problem solving all the time. And it takes a toll on you. Quite frankly, when you're the person who's a problem solver, a lot of times you end up doing part of other people's jobs as Amen, well. somebody. Right. right. So you're not just doing your job. Like so, You know, it's, a, it's some current and former colleagues that owe me a good 20, 25% of their salaries. But, um, you know, when I, I go on vacation. You know, I literally, I get on a plane. I will leave the country. Um, and I will go on vacation <laughs> and sit on a beach. And then, you know, you also have to make the decision. I'm not going to check my email every night after a certain time. I mean, there was a period of my life where I was just checking my email all the time. You know, it's like it's it's seven, eight, nine o'clock, ten o'clock at night, and you're checking mm-hmm. emails. And the far for the further up you go in your career, you feel obligated to do it because you feel like. Well, they're not paying me this for nothing, you know? So it's like, it's Saturday and you're checking email. Like Saturday is a work day, which sometimes it is, but, you know, and so I had to set boundaries on that. Like when I go on vacation, if I have to check email, I do. If I'm going, doing a working away from the office, I mean, we all, most of us have been out of the office because it's a pandemic, but prior to that, if I'm working out of the office, is this like really a vacation? If it's not, I'm not taking vacation days, you know, because if I have to work while I'm there, how much am I going to work? Am I, you know, am I going to check email? So right now I'll check like, you know, for the most part, an Mm -hmm. issue, I'll tell people. Yeah. So when I go on vacation, the point is I go on vacation. I try to really step away and just relax and enjoy my life, but also just the daily boundaries. You know, I try not to check email too late in the evening on Saturdays and Sundays, mm-hmm. unless something is going on. I try not to check email. So just figuring out what those boundaries are. And I've talked to a lot of friends who are at some of the places in their career to me, and they will say, oh, I have to check email. And I'm like, well, what's going to happen if you don't? <laughs> you know, like, what is, what's the, what's the act- is there an actual <laughs> right. consequence? Or is it just you, you thinking that there is one that's going to scare you or or you feel so obligated to do it? So I think it's just, you know, to me, self-boundaries and self-care go together. And then I'm sorry, everyone lately has been like, self-care isn't bubble baths. Sometimes self-care is a bubble bath. Sometimes it is a facial. Sometimes it is getting your hair done, taking care of your skin, going to the gym. Sometimes that is self-care. So I do I do all the things. It's rest. It's sleeping enough. It's vacationing. It's taking a bubble bath. You know, <laughs> all of those things together. And it's
0: saying no. And saying no. And sometimes saying yes. To yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie, you want to chime in here? About, um, the question was about um, self-care and how setting boundaries plays a role in that for you, if at all.
3: I'll prescribe to everything the doctor said. Um, in reference to making sure that uh, early on in my career, whew, I was I was that one always, always on the always on my work phone. I was a road runner. I was working in Huntsville, living up here in the DMV. My daughter was growing up, becoming a teenager. And it came to a point where I said, you know, part of my self-care was ensuring that her care was going to be in order. And definitely her care wasn't going to be in order if I'm not around uh, 50% of the time. So I had to start rolling back on that and first find a job in this area and, and just learning how to say no to some of the ambition that I had inside of myself that may not, not, not to say that I was dumbing myself down, but that type of ambition sometimes isn't, it's not healthy sometimes because you just got to make sure that you are taking care of yourself as well.
0: So what do you know now that you wish you knew then? that has made a difference for you as it relates to boundary setting?
2: I can go. So <clears throat> for me, I would say it's really what Dr. Wood said. I feel like we're kind of recycling each other thing, but just like you are not going to get let go. If you say, if you set boundaries, right. It's about respect. It's about being clear about your why in that situation. Um, and it's about calling people in, particularly with your bosses. I mean, there's a whole literature around managing up, right? And and, I, and I'm a proponent of that. Like, and I, for my staff, it's like, no, do manage up. Because when I'm running around with my head cut off, I'm pushing things down because I'm like, I need to get some things off my plate. And I call you in to be able to, to manage up. And I do manage up proudly, Um, And so I, you know, I just think that understanding that it is not, saying no shouldn't be a fear tactic. There's so many other things to be fearful about in the workplace that could get you in trouble and all these other things, all these HR laws and all of that saying no is just not one of them. And if that is in a policy that saying no is a problem, then you should probably be looking for another job right now Um, because you should have that space to, to manage your own space. And that's regardless of what level you
1: are. And I think knowing, I mean, to me, the thing that I would tell my younger self is Listen, saying no isn't going to like instantly get you fired, but it doesn't mean your boss may come to hate you. I'm, I'm just going to be honest. You know, you, you have to understand that. There are repercussions in the workplace. However, there are plenty of workplaces. And when you are educated and you have skills and experiences, some of which you may get in those workplaces that, you know, you need to leave. You can take that and parlay it somewhere else because I can't sit here and tell someone that there, ha- there aren't consequences. Right. I mean, you know, I can sit here and be cavalier and say I say no. I do say no. Um, however, sometimes there's consequences to that. But the thing is that the thing I would tell my younger self is you're going to have so many opportunities. You are going to have so many opportunities in your life. And if you are not appreciated one place, guess what? The next place will. You know, (laughs) if if this job is, you know, you might want to be loved and appreciated at this job. But if you're not, there's so many places out here that would love to have these same skills that this this, you know, these same things in your traits that one workplace may find a weakness. Another workplace may find that to be a strength. And so that's what I would just tell my younger self, because I used to be like, well, I guess I'm I guess I'm not going to have a career (laughs) because, you know, I've always been a a person with boundaries and those aren't always appreciated. But here I am and I have one, you know, (laughs) and and it's successful. And I think to me, that is why, you know, you, you do work hard, you do get your education so that, you know, there's always something next for you. What I would tell my
3: younger self would be to be more still and to listen. And uh, again, the no thing, having more, be more balanced and having an understanding of or getting an understanding of what it is your expectations are with whatever or wherever I'm working, what are the expectations Um, That they are looking for you to prescribe or what they are looking for you, what they're looking for you to give them and what you are looking to receive from them. And so that's the balance that I think that I never really sat down and tried to focus on that balance. And that's where you learn about where things can be equitable and inclusive for you and everyone around you. And those were it's it's hard to really find that until you have the real um, until you've been around a little while, and and you have a chance to kind of like sit back and watch things while you're trying to get it. It's hard. It's hard for you to see it. When you've when you've been there and you've done it for a little while, you can see it a little
1: bit clearer.
0: So I'm going to ask you all the question that I have asked everyone that I've interviewed for the podcast. And some people like it and some people don't. And so, uh, but I'm going to ask it anyway. And I'm interested to know what your answers are. and Because we've talked a little bit about how racism interplays or intersects with um, a race or ethnicity, um, how it intersects with your ability to set boundaries, to say no, that kind of thing. What's the one thing that you would say to white people? One thing about making their workplaces more inclusive so that folks of color are not wrangling around this whole three times as much to get half as far or their ability to set boundaries and or say no or engage in self-care.
1: I just said, I would say, don't talk about it, be about it. No one needs another diversity committee. Um, You know you have a funky climate. You know that you're lacking even in numerical diversity. We don't need to have eight committees about it. We don't need to have 20 speakers. We don't need to read what's-her-name's book, or they can read her book. Um, that book about why it's so hard to talk to white people about race. They can read that book, but I don't need to read it with you. Um, so to me, like do the the things, I feel like in workplaces, people, um, and this is not true of my current workplace, but my current boss is a very strong black woman leader. But a lot of workplaces I've been in, you they talk it to death and there is no action. You don't want to hire people. You don't want to pay people equitably and you don't want to treat people well. So at least stop pretending because then we're just spinning our wheels and getting frustrated.
3: Well, in some cases, I would say that there are definitely some people that haven't had the opportunity to be around Black people. So they don't know. All they know is what they've seen. So if you give them the opportunity to speak on what they know and you have the, and give them the opportunity to actually talk and be them their authentic self and you get to be your authentic self and give the opportunity to find out if you all have a space where you have some things in common there are a lot of times where folks just because you are a different color or a different race you don't even know what you have in common and so if you give that opportunity for you just to be your authentic self, then like, I mean, still be about it. I understand what you're saying. I totally do. Be your, tell them to be themselves. Don't hide behind the fact that uh, uh, saying the right thing or saying what I think I you think I want you to say. Be yourself. But I would just say, you know, give them the opportunity to be their authentic self.
2: Yeah, so uh, you know, because this is a recent um, concern that I've had in the workplace as I as I transition, um, I think that it's really important for white colleagues, white leaders, to really focus on trying to understand their black staff, their black team, their black direct reports, um, because. I have a lot of education. I'm very uh, well-trained. I know what I'm talking about. And yet and still, my, you know, white supervisors, white colleagues just do not understand me. As quote-unquote, quote-unquote polished as I am, they still are like, I, I don't really get that reference. I don't really know what you're talking about. Um, and it creates a barrier. And I used to think it was me, but it's them. It's not me. I don't need to change. They need to change. They need to do more. They need to seek to understand um, because th- and this is not a you know pompous response. This is no, I have refined as much as I'm going to refine. You need to do the work now. You need to try to seek to understand me instead of looking at me, you know, confused when I ask a question about something or when I'm bringing up a certain topic. I I think it's time for them to do the work. And so that, but to contextualize, because I feel like white people, the the fragility just comes in so quick, telling them to seek to understand black people is just too much for them. So let's just start with seek to understand your direct reports and the people on your team um, who are people of color.
0: Well, that was perfect. I really appreciate the time with you all tonight. I think we got some good nuggets of wisdom. And um, even some di- diversity of opinion, which is great. And I just wanted to say thank you so much for taking the time to do this.
2: Thank you so much for having us. Thank
1: yes, you. thank you for having us. Good discussion.
2: Yeah. I'll come back
1: anytime, Doctor Stacy. Anytime. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's good to know. So, listeners, you can expect
0: that Doctor Woods to be a repeat <laughs> guest. <laughs> But thank you again. Y'all have a good one. And we'll talk soon. This episode was edited by Caroline Bone. Special thanks to our podcast intern, Amanda Gillette. Our music is provided by Jaffa. Being the Dot is sponsored by DavisDeliciousDelights.com davis dot custom made personalized pastries, cakes, pies, and cookies made with a dash of Southern flair. Visit DavisDeliciousDelights and use the coupon code BeingTheDot for twenty percent off orders of thirty five ninety nine or more.